0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor mentioned, today we're starting a new sermon series. And as you can see, it was on the book of Colossians. So what we have is a four-part sermon series, and it's going to follow the lectionary, or the readings that are chosen um, for Sundays. So other churches will be looking at some similar things. We're just a little bit ahead. And If you go back home and read the book of Colossians today, you'll notice it has four chapters. It's a four-part series. I know what you might be thinking, but it's not quite what we're going to do. You see, the book of Colossians has a theme that Pastor mentioned. Jesus is sufficient. So what we're going to do is we're going to take four readings from the book of Colossians, and they're all going to have to do with that theme. Jesus is sufficient. Chapter 4 is just Paul saying goodbye to his friend. doesn't have much to do with the theme. But we want to study this, Jesus is sufficient. So our first reading is from the very beginning of the book. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. I'll read it for you before we talk about it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored for you in heaven and about which you have already heard, the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, The book of Colossians is a letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And before us today, we have Paul's introduction to that letter. So first, as we begin our series, let's talk about the Colossians. Colossae is located right here. I tried to make it very easy for you. And the church of Colossae, the Colossians um, located there, Um, was not a very large church. The city um, used to be very big, but now is very small. As you can see, it's right by Ephesus. And Paul, as you know, also wrote a letter to the Ephesians. He liked the church at Ephesus. He stayed there for a long time. But apparently, he had not been to Colossae. It comes out in the letter that he had not started the church there, and here's why. Colossae had been um, bypassed by one of the main traveling routes. So it would be easy to get to Ephesus, a big port city. um, But Colossae, which was a big city, has now gotten rather small. It's kind of like Radiator Springs. And that's where we find a church. A small church, not started by Paul. Mainly um, Gentiles in that church, as it comes out in the letter. Because it probably was a mainly Gentile town. Not many Jewish people. So why does Paul write a letter to this church... Might have been kind of small. He didn't start it. Maybe doesn't have much contact with it. And you see why Paul writes the letter really helps us to understand the letter. It's what we learn the most about. You see, Colossians, they seem to not be dealing with many problems. Most of Paul's letters um, will start with some kind of problem that he has to address, maybe later on, maybe at the beginning. But the Colossians and the way their church operated and the persecution around them didn't seem to be dealing with much. See, the problem was this. The Colossians were dealing with some kind of false teaching. And that's why Paul wants to write a letter to them. You see, in our reading, we find out he has not stopped hearing about them from Epaphras, the man who started this church. He hears a lot about their faith, and he's impressed with it. And he also hears about this false teaching. So he wants them to know that Christ is sufficient. And as we'll find out today, he also wants them to know that, that Christ is their faith. You see, the teaching that was going on, along with the Colossians, it was called Gnosticism. And that's how you spell it. I struggle with spelling, so it always helps me to see it. And Gnosticism is just this, extra knowledge. What they were teaching was that you needed Christ, you could have Christ, but you also needed this extra something. You also needed to know a little extra something. You see, they were kind of a secretive group with secret information that was only important to those who were on the inside. Kind of sounds a little bit like a cult, because it probably was kind of like a cult. They were dangerous people. And we know that Paul is writing out against these people Because of the theme he hits over and over again, he wants the Colossians most of all to know Christ is sufficient. Christ is everything. Christ is enough, as we learned about in that children's message. And that's directly opposed to what the Gnostics were saying. They would have them believe that you needed just a little bit more. You needed some secret information. It's kind of like if you bought a ticket to a concert you go to the concert, you get to the ticket booth, and then they, t- they look at your ticket and they start shaking their head. And they inform you that you won't be able to hear or experience the show as well as you'd like to unless you bought the super-secret VIP package. It only costs twice the price, but it's going to give you the best show of your life. Or maybe it's like... Graduating college. What if you went through college, you get, you're working hard towards this degree, and on graduation day, your president says, this is a great degree and all, but you're really not going to get the job you want unless you come back and you take some more classes. There's some things we left out, some extra stuff you need to know. You see, what happens when someone adds something on? It might seem like they're just trying to sell you something, but in your mind, what's happening? The value of what you have, the ticket you have, the degree you just got, it might start to go down, right? And that's what's happening with these Gnostics, the people who teach Gnosticism that, yeah, you can have Christ, but how about just have a little bit more, too? That will really make sure that you are saved. And Paul knows this. What happens when you add something to salvation, the value of what you have, the value of your faith, goes down. And so Paul wants the Colossians to know, more than anything, that Jesus is sufficient. And that Jesus is their faith. And so before we start studying our section for today, I want us to think about this. When is the last time that you wrote a letter? It can be any kind of letter. Thank you notes count two. When was the last time you wrote a letter? And now why did you write a letter? Why did you bother to sit down and write something out? Because it means something, right? If you're anything like me, every time you go to the mailbox, you're kind of wishing deep down in your head that maybe there's a personal letter addressed, hand addressed, just to you. And if you're even more like me, that only happens once a year on your birthday when you get a letter from your parents. Letters mean something, right? It means, especially in this, today, the, all the technology we have, that somebody actually took the time to sit down and write you something. Someone cared about you enough to hand write you a note, and a little bit of themselves comes through, right? And I only learned this... When I was a kid, and I'm realizing it now, when I had to um, write this sermon, I was thinking, why did Paul write a letter? You see, letters lock things in time. And my mom taught this, and she's actually here today, so thank you, Mom. As I was made to, or I, I got the opportunity to write out all my thank you notes after graduation, after confirmation, and she always made sure to tell me, put a little bit about your life right now maybe put a little bit something about what that gift means for you at this time, and it was the worst, because I actually had to think. I actually had to invest some time and write about my life, but looking back at it, isn't that the best part of a letter? If someone had actually saved my thank you notes, they'd have a little snapshot of my life at that time, maybe just a sentence, but that was enough. Letters lock things in time, And what Paul has done for us is he's given us that situation with the Colossians and he's locked it in time. And I think it's important what he talks about. And the first thing he talks about today is the Colossians' faith. You see, their faith is their status right now. Their faith is where they started when they heard the message and when they came to faith. It's that same faith that they still have now, that same faith that Paul has heard about. And so before they can understand just how big Jesus is, just how satisfactory his life and his death was, he wants to start at the beginning. He wants them to know that Jesus is their faith. And so here's where he starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And this is just a typical introduction by Paul as he starts out his letters, but we see something interesting, we see something unique. He calls the Colossians God's holy people. We know they're doing well, we know that he knows about their faith, and he's also mentioned Christ. Twice now. And then he jumps in to what he talks about, and we see an extended greeting. A very long, our whole introduction is just the greeting to these people, letting them know about their faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. See, what Paul does is he wants to start them thinking about their faith, thinking about what he has done for them in those first few verses. He gives them one of the biggest compliments I think we can think of. So think about people complimenting you, and I think the lowest level is an off-handed comment, right? Well, I guess you're pretty good at that, or at least you're better than so-and-so. That's level one. Level two might be a direct compliment. You're really good at this. I I really like what you're doing. See, and even after those two levels, you still might be questioning in your head what the person actually thinks about you, right? Until you get to the third level, a second-hand compliment. And I don't think the name does it justice, because how good does it feel to hear a compliment through somebody else's voice? Don't you then know that it's an actual compliment? Doesn't that feel a little bit better? I think Paul takes it another level in these first verses. He tells them about their faith and what does he do? He thanks and he praises God in a public way. He goes to God the Father himself and tells them just how much he thinks of their faith. Think about how that would feel. To have someone publicly praying just for you and what they see in your life, but then Paul goes on. Uh, the message of the gospel that has come to you, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So what Paul does next is he traces their faith and he goes backwards. He says, I've heard about your faith from this man, Epaphras, the man who probably started this congregation um, in Colossae. And I know it's faith because of what he says about you. You clearly heard the gospel, and you came to faith, and now the word is being spread. That same faith must be true because I see it working throughout the whole wide world. Paul is impressed At their faith. He thanks God for their faith. But isn't that a little bit odd? Just take a second now. We know why Paul's writing the letter, why he focuses on their faith. But what kind of things are you usually thankful for? How about this? If you're sitting down for Thanksgiving Day dinner and you're going around and you're telling everybody what you thank God for, what are the things that usually come out? Your friends, your family, food, football. But what about faith? It might come out eventually, but is it really the first thing on your mind or the first thing that you're willing to say you see in somebody else? See, it's not usually something that comes to mind, but Paul knows its importance. Paul knows just how big their faith, their starting point is to these Colossians. You see, because Jesus is their faith, they have it all. And that's what he wants them to know. You see, they have put their faith in something that doesn't change. All those other things, those things you might name at Thanksgiving, those can change, right? But the Colossians have put their trust, their faith, their hope in something that doesn't change. In fact, something that has changed their life forever. And then Paul goes on in our last section to explain just what this faith is in, just why this faith is so important. And he ends by saying, he gives joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption." The forgiveness of sins. You see, the Colossians have an amazing faith. They have what's right, they have a faith in Jesus, the one who is sufficient. And Paul wants them to see something right here about that faith. You see, for them, that faith meant that they have an inheritance. They have heaven right now, even though most of them probably weren't Jewish, which meant they were kind of on the outside. Even though they were hearing from these Gnostics that they needed Christ plus a little something else, then they could know they were saved. Paul tells them, no, your faith means you have an inheritance. Already won, already paid for. It's yours right now. An inheritance you couldn't even dream of. Paul wants them to know about the God who took them out of that kingdom of darkness and now gives them a glorious kingdom, something they could never even dream of. Paul wants them to know that their faith is in a son. A son who redeemed them by his life and his death. Christ, Jesus, the one who is sufficient, the one who has done it all, who lived the life that we could never live. The one who died a death so painful we couldn't even begin to imagine what it felt like to be forsaken by his own father. A faith in Jesus. A Jesus who was sufficient. Paul wants the Colossians to know that Christ is their faith. But why is this important for us today? See, Paul talks to these Colossians, he lets them know how great their faith is, what their faith is in, but do we really need to be hearing this today? Don't we all know our faith? And isn't the situation a little bit different? You see, we don't have a group, the Gnostics, I mean, they've been renamed, they're still kind of around, but we don't really feel that pressure, right? That they're preaching that Christ is okay, but you should also have this little bit of secret knowledge. You see, I think what Paul says is still important, and maybe you're realizing this already. When you look out in the world, it's not too hard to see that people are putting their faith in something other than Christ, right? You look out and you see that friend who puts all of their faith in their money. That's why they have a job. They're only happy if they're actually financially stable. They've put their faith in their money. Maybe it's that coworker who's bought into some social ideal, some way of living that's governed by structures and rules, and maybe it improves their life, but you always kind of feel that something is missing, right? Or maybe it's that person you meet who puts all of their trust, all of their faith only in themselves. They've been burned, they've been hurt, and they'll let you know it, and the only person that got them out of it was themselves. Their own will, their own determination, and they don't have any more room for God because they can do it all, right? They're putting their faith in other things. It's not too hard to see. But let me ask you a question. If you could go back in time, maybe a little bit, and sit on your grandpa or your grandma's lap, what would you want them to talk about? What would you want them to say that they were proud of in you. I think we can all think of those things. Maybe it's your accomplishments in high school, how hard you're working, how well you did in college. Maybe that job you landed that you were always talking about. You finally have. Maybe it's that person you're dating or that one you married. The family you've built and how proud your grandpa or grandma would be of them. We all have things that mean a lot to us, things we would want them to talk about. But let me ask you another question. Maybe this is a better one. If Jesus were here today, what would you want to hear out of his mouth? How would you fill in the blank? I'm proud of you because. I'm proud of you because of your accomplishments because of the good works you're doing, because of the friends you have, the people in your life. You see, if you're like me, the things you want your grandpa or your grandma to talk about, the things maybe you want Jesus to see in your life, no matter how good, no matter how amazing that is, those are all good things. It's probably the thing that you have the biggest problem with. It's probably that extra thing you want with your faith. It's that thing you might struggle the most when you're thinking about your faith and what you actually put your trust in. Is it 100% in your Savior? Or is there some extra thing that you want? You see, the Colossians were dealing with these Gnostics, these temptations from the outside that at times seemed pretty good. But our biggest temptation might be on the inside, as the things around us, the things we value, pull us away from Christ. But today, Paul reminds us about our faith. And Paul reminds us that Jesus is our faith, too, just like the Colossians were struggling with these temptations, but just like the Colossians, our faith makes us different. You see, we also have a faith. Faith in somebody who doesn't change. A faith that has changed our life. We also have a faith. A faith that means we have an inheritance in heaven. An inheritance that we can look forward to that has already been completely paid for. We have a faith that God used to take us out of the kingdom of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a faith in Jesus. And Jesus is sufficient. Jesus lived the life that you and I know that we could never live. Jesus died that death not just for the Colossians but also for us. Jesus is our faith. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you today for giving us your word and thank you for giving us the Apostle Paul who wrote to us this letter to the Colossians. To the Colossians, and thank you for working through him to remind us today that Jesus is sufficient and that Jesus is our faith. Please help us as we live in this world you have given us as our hearts might try to go elsewhere. Please always remind us that Jesus is sufficient. Please remind us of our true faith and the one we look to, the one who has saved us all. It's in his name we pray this. Amen.